It's Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal in the Bernabeu! That's a shaman! Giroud plays it in the middle! Ahead again! And Ramsey arriving! And Arsenal are back in front! Scores in the FA Cup final again! Just as he did in 2014! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Editor Podcast. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. It feels like it's been ages. <clears throat> I think a lot's happened since... We've last been on the mic. I think we had obviously two games, um, which is not something we've had in one week for, for a while. So games have come thick and fast. So Liverpool feels like it was ages ago now. I was actually in another country whilst watching that. So it kind of feels like I've been here, there and everywhere. Um, but it's been good. And one of the things that we, uh, obviously it's been a good week, a great week. Um, we did really well against Liverpool. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of why we lost. But overall, I think we can be very happy, particularly off the back of a really good win at Aston Villa, how we can frame it. Um, but before that, a couple of weeks ago, we, we made a commitment on, on International Women's Day that we mentioned. Um, you might have seen uh, that we've been doing a hell of a lot more on, on social media, uh, thanks to Connor, who's our new um, new women's correspondent for the Arsenal editor. So it's been very exciting that, that we've been posting a lot and um, we're trying to make it as 50-50 split as we can, particularly not only because it's important to do so, but secondly, because quite frankly, Arsenal women's are one of the best teams in the world. And as we record, about to play against Wolfsburg at the Emirates um, in the Champions League knockout, which is hugely exciting as Wolfsburg are one of the best and biggest teams in the world. Um, and we're going to be starting to do a, a women's section, a women's roundup, um, in this podcast every week and then eventually as as things progress the aim is to then uh, have its own women's podcast so I'm very much looking forward to that but I will shut up because we do have the women's correspondent who will be with us throughout the men's and women's conversation today we've got Connor our women's correspondent how are you mate hey thanks so much Toby yeah it's an absolute pleasure to to be here and to be able to start on this journey with with incorporating more of the women's stuff um into into the Arsenal editor you know I've been been part of the project for for a couple of weeks now and it's been uh seriously enlightening and and seriously just really overwhelming the the sort of support the the posts have received and the kind of engagement that we're getting with them as well and it's fantastic to be able to do service to what is frankly a, a wonderful team and to to pay homage to to the fantastic sport that is that is football in in the form of the women's game uh, so i'm really looking forward to to chatting about both sides this evening yeah, absolutely. It's it's important, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, firstly, the women's team are doing so well, but you can see the club are really trying to make moves to try and centralise the way they communicate, um, you know, making sure that we're pushing both sides of things. All, most kit releases now have, have both people, although I know there was probably one or two controversial moments where they didn't release a women's version of the kits and things like that recently, but uh, good to have you. And um, I'm, I'm very jealous that you're you're calling in from from studentville because quite frankly uh the gone are the days where i could be a student i actually i just i just did um for the first time in god knows how long i just did uh four nights drinking in a row because i was on holiday with my friends and i tell you what mate i've taken a day off work and, I, and to be fair it's not because of that it's because i've been ill but like running down my body sleeping as much like as little as probably i could have done but drink it's just like mate like how how do you do it but i wish i was you know a student still being able to yeah no i mean it's it's honestly it, it, the years go by so so quickly um so this is my fourth year of being a university yeah. student now and um i can still remember the the first day of uni the first day i got here how i was what i was feeling and you know, even when I'm still a university student, there are some times where, where I sound like an absolute dinosaur uh, because 
I was here before, you know, before COVID was. So some uni students' experience is like all revolving around COVID. And for me, you know, when I got there in, in 2018, September, there were there was you know COVID doesn't exist. There wasn't anything to uh, to sort of deal with in that sense. So to, uh, chatting to people who don't only know sort of the university COVID experience is like, oh, you know, uh, but like back in my day, this is how it worked, this and that. So uh, yeah. even when you're still a student, you can still be be one of the oldies in that sense. Yeah, no, I can imagine. So yeah, I remember, I remember getting to my like third or fourth year, and it was like looking back at the freshers and being like, you are children. You I, guys, like, have, I, have I just gone through like the second round of puberty or like? So you, much you know I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Um, yeah, good times, good times. And so, did you did you watch the Liverpool and Villa games? Yeah, I did. Um, so I always try and, and watch the the men's games because it's been a big part of my life. Um, so as a, a brief introduction as well, I was born in South Africa, um, and I lived in Johannesburg until I was nine, and then I moved over to the UK, um, just outside of London in, in Kent, and this is where I've been able to actually have a decent enough commute to to this to the stadium in order to to go and visit um so i was able to to watch games and that's really when my my love for arsenal and my love for for football took to place so arsenal have always been um in terms of the men's team a, a huge part of my life and i always try and watch their games and um you know it's on judgment day i'm gonna wear my arsenal top because i've, <laughs> I've gone through a lot uh, as we as we all have so i think you know, watching watching the men's games is, is super important to me. And I was able to to watch them both and be part of the boys in, in both games. Absolutely. And uh, what was the, how old were you when you came across that of interest? Like, did you support them before you got here? And what was yeah, the... Yeah. Nice. yeah so my, my story is is that basically my, my dad sort of half followed Liverpool um, when we were in, in South Africa. And then my aunt was going uh-huh. to London. Um, nice. And my dad said, uh, oh, can you get him a Liverpool shirt? It's red. And then she got the the red top from London, and it was it was an Arsenal top. And then from two years old, I I followed him <laughs> as, as much as I could. Yeah. Um. So I was when I came over, I was nine, and then you know proper for sort of full on football culture. So in South Africa, you play like you know high school sport kind of thing, but you're always watching games, um, the big Premier League games, big Champions League games on 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 TV. Um, mm. it's a big sport out there, but it's sort of more more local side. Um, so you don't have any South African teams in the Champions League, for example. Um, and then sort of when I came over, that's when I sort of got fully immersed into the football culture and, you know, the home of football in that sense as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. So fair play. Well, respect for you for, for choosing the right colour and for choosing <laughs> the right side of red, I think we should yeah, say. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, we, 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 we played them this week, so that's quite a topical way to bring you on. And um, I, I definitely came away from that. Like, well, firstly, I was quite drunk whilst watching it. So... I was certain I was watching it with a Liverpool fan who is one of my best friends and in all fairness, a very good Liverpool fan. And there are some bad ones. Um, and we, it was always one of those things that we were just, I knew going into it, Liverpool are the better side. They're the more experienced side. They're Liverpool. They're at the end of, or at the, at the peak of their, their project for, for, for want of a better phrase. And they've been there and done it. And um, they, they were meeting a team in Arsenal that really are kind of like, the upward trajectory of the project and, and, and if again for want of a better phrase but certainly somewhere that it feels like as a club we're on the way up and it felt like this is a really good opportunity to, to test ourselves and I, I I still came away feeling it like like we passed the test I don't know how you feel mm-hmm. yeah it's a good way to put it and I always think of of these games as almost like a, a checkpoint or a marker or a benchmark in that sense to to see where we are in, in the season. You know, when we played Man City in, in August, we lost 5-0. It was not 
the upward trajectory that we now have. And I think when you play against a team like Liverpool, where they're constantly adding, but they've got that sort of end of the project feeling about them, uh, that they're sort of continuing on, I think I think that's very, very interesting, very useful to compare it to, to us and to say, well, that's the standard we need to get to. I think with these games, uh, we can play well and still lose. Um, there are other games where I'm like, if we play well and lose, then I don't know how that works. But against Liverpool teams, you, you can play well and come away from the game. You know what? They, they were just better on the um, and I felt that in the Liverpool game, their chances. Yeah, it's completely true. And it's it, weirdly, like, do you remember that run where we we would beat Man, we beat Man City, we kind of beat Liverpool, uh, but it was kind of like we, we, had, we had a very average base and Arteta was implementing a bit of defence and it was smash and grab. And, I, and whilst those are great, those are like kind of Burnley performances in a sense. Like, and that's fine, like, but, but that's who we were at the time. And now if we really want to progress, if we really want to become that top three, top two level team, we can't just expect to forever just try and do a smash and grab every time we play the, these top tier teams. Mm-hmm. And so I really think it's important that we try and find a way that we can compete and still play the way we want to play. And I think we showed that. And look, I think at the end of the day, I think it was a super event match that was won and lost, as Arteta put perfectly in the boxes. We didn't take our chances. They took their chances. And I really think it was as simple as that. Um, I, I think the game was pretty even and I thought we played really well. I think the home advantage helped. Um, so, so, so all in all, I think it was it was really good. And I guess coming on to to, to Aston Villa, um, you know, I think we then backed that up because I think after a Liverpool performance where you do play really well but do come away with nothing, when we've been playing so well, the most important thing was to take all the positives from that. And I think for such a young team, and what we've seen in the past is like the ability to to let that derail you. So. I'm so glad that they didn't. You know, I'm so glad that we managed to pull out an unbelievable, uh, really professional performance against a very difficult side in Villa, and just come out, come out feeling very strong and positive going to the international break. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And you know what was key for me as well is that the the atmosphere of the Emirates and Liverpool game didn't die out. Mm. Um, I've definitely been in Arsenal games where and seen Arsenal games where it's just the atmosphere is gone. The fans had lost belief by by the time we were two 0 down against this team, and they sort of lost lost the sort of sight of the the point of playing in that sense. Mm. Um, and I think now there's always a purpose to playing right until the end. The fans are there cheering everyone on. I think Arteta said he hadn't felt a, an atmosphere like that in, in a long, long time. Um, and I think that's what the connection between the players and the fans that he's been talking about ever since his his first day in the job. And that then carried on to Aston Villa. You know, I, there were times where mm. You know the the numerous sort of Aston Villa play, Aston Villa players, Aston Villa fans were being outsung by by the very uh, small minority yeah. of Arsenal fans there, and I think um, it shows the the kind of pride and passion that everyone is willing to carry forward into into the matches as well. It helps helps the players, and you know it really shows the fans as the as a twelfth player in that sense as well. So I think you know in the in the Aston Villa game we were uh, seriously strong defensively, despite you know. Burnt Leonard just coming in, um, yeah. and I think we have well, shown the the importance of of squad depth, but also the the connection between the players and the fans. I think that was that was fantastic to see. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Because I, 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 I'm actually that's really a good point. I I hadn't seen the atmosphere, and I still haven't in in the Emirates for the Liverpool game um, because I was kind of in quite a, a busy area of the bar. I couldn't really hear the commentary, that sort of thing. And I, that's a really good point. I hadn't even really considered that um, as a thing because. 
I went to the last Liverpool game that was in the Carling Cup where we lost 2-0 and it was in the midst of the January time where we just lost our way a little bit. Like it, we had lots of COVID issues and we had lots of, um, a couple of injuries and all that sort of stuff. And it just, things just start to get a little bit stale. Um, and I felt a sense in the crowd of when we did go 1-0 down to, I believe it was Diego Jota, obviously, always is. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and I did feel a sense of, oh, oh for God's sake. Like not, not, not a sense of, oh, here we go again, but just like, oh, that, that is disappointing. It felt like it really popped the balloon. And so I'm yeah. really glad to hear. Was was that not the case then against Liverpool? I, I haven't quite seen, to be fair. Yeah, them. so there was there was definitely um, a sense, like even even for me, when, when Jock scored that goal, I was like, oh, hmm. you know, that really, that really could have been us. Um, yeah. So just stuck one away. Um, and then now, you know, when Liverpool get into that position, they're very, very hard to turn over. Um, but then I think immediately the, the fans got right back behind the players, um, and the key for me, as I mentioned, was that the, the atmosphere didn't die. Uh, there were still fans singing at the end. There were fans waiting for the players. Um, and when I think as a fan, you know that your players are giving 100% and you just get beaten because there's a better team out there. Yeah. That's, that's the key. But I think within sort of recent history at Arsenal, there have been at times where fans thought that the players could have given more, whether that is true or not, mm. um, and that they, they weren't beaten by the better team. They were just beaten because they Arsenal hadn't done hadn't done something correct. And I think when um, your team is is doing is doing its best and really and just trying its its absolute most to to run back to get stuck in to to do it right until the final minute. As a fan, it really inspires you and it shows that on another on another day, then Arsenal could have pulled out the result. Yeah, they really could have done. They they really could. Have. I mean, I remember the Lacazette chance, the Odegaard chance, where they kind of fluffed their lines a bit, and he just like it was actually a really really good save by Allison. To be fair, I think like I think Odegaard could have taken it a little bit earlier, but you know, then there was the Martinelli chance. We almost Terry on read it, and it was just like we're so close. And you know, I think um, uh, like I, I think as well the the first get goal. I, Look, I love Ramsdale much the next guy, obviously, and he was always due a little bit of a mistake. I don't think he's had one since being at the club, but I do think that was, um, like, I think it was a howler. And I don't really hold him against him because he's been so great all season. I think he just misjudged it. He was expecting it to go one way and it just didn't. And I think Diego Jossa got, got quite lucky. Um, but and that, that's why I was a little bit upset that, um, that Ramsdale didn't really, wasn't available for the next game. You know, because I thought, you know, come and show, come and just get back in the zone. And, um, but then again, that created another just incredible storyline. I mean, you saw at the end of the Villa game where you had, uh, you know, Ramsdale supporting Leno, the whole team jumping over Leno. You could see, I've not seen Leno smile like that at the end of a game ever. Never mind when he's been dropped from the German national team, he's not been playing for Arsenal. And um, he's just had one game back. Like the spirit levels in this club is, is completely unfathomable. I mean, you, you look at us two years ago and you told us we would be here the fans would be connected and all of this sort of stuff you, you you just wouldn't believe them you know particularly towards the end of the Unai Emery era it's just it was it's unfathomable and um yeah it's 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 certainly great to see um so uh but I mean so, so for the for the lineup for Villa I mean we had we had a couple of absentees didn't we so um obviously Ramsdale missing um Martinelli missing so that meant that Mill Smith Rowe came in and obviously Leno the um i kind of love 
the whole like if Martinelli's not there, we've got a Mill Smith Road. If a Mill Smith Road's there, we've got Martinelli. Like that's something I felt like we've not had in a while. Like we're kind of we're starting to be a little bit flexible. I mean, I don't know what you th- who who do you prefer out of those two, and, and what you think of those two generally. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you touch upon a, a great subject, and it's the the key of of sort of squad depth in that sense. Um, yeah. So you know, when you look at Man City, if you haven't got uh, De Bruyne, you've got Phil Foden, or you've got Bernardo Silva. If you haven't got uh, Raheem Sterling, you've got Riyad Mahrez. And then the way to keep those players happy, even though they're sitting on the bench, is that they're part of something big and that they're winning the big things. I think that's the key yeah. for Arsenal, is that there can, you know, there is definitely a time, or at least it's thinkable, that um, our front three get injured full stop. Um, and there's nothing we can do about it. And the key is to have that squad depth to then come in. And when you have that depth as well, in training, you're always pushing each other. There's competition. No one gets comfortable. Um, nobody can say that, right, I've got my position. No matter what I do, I'm there. Yeah. Um, and then it raise, raises the bar, and then that's the nature of football. So unfortunately for, for the goalkeeper situation, there's only one position. Um, so, you know, whether if you make a mistake and you're out, it's really hard to, to get back in. You just have to take your chances. And I think when, you know, when an injury like this happens and Lennon was just as ready as he was to come back in, yeah. shows me there's such an importance in, in squad depth. And, you know, Martinelli has come on leaps and bounds. You know, there were, there were times when he wasn't being played and everyone mm. um, was, was sort of saying, why isn't he playing? You know, whenever I see a player not playing, um, I, I get really fearful that they're going to leave. In that yeah, game. yeah. Uh, that's what you want. And if you lose Gabriel Martinelli, you know, using such a high prospect. Um, but from all the chat he's done, he, he wants to stay at the club and he's, and he's showing why. And he's been absolutely fan, fantastic in that sense. And, you know, just offers that that direct ball. So I, I can't sort of, I don't know the exact stat, but every time our centre-backs get a ball, they're launching it um, that way for Martini just to run and run and run. Um, and then with Emile Smith-Rowe, you don't have you don't have the pace, but you, you've you got something else. You've got the inside movement, you've got the goals, you've got the assists as well. Yeah. Um, so I think they, you've got two different players and, and keeps the opposition guessing. You know, who's going to play in their left wing? Is it Martinelli or, or Smith-Rowe? And I'm going to have to learn, learn both of them and, and how they play. It's so true, isn't it? Like, and, and but it's kind of like it used to be, you know, last season Emil Smith Rowe would be the guy who would be making the chances, running the inside lines, and kind of linking up the play. And Martinelli just would be the shot monster that didn't necessarily have direction other than just go, Martin, go on, go on, Gabby. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like Whereas, do you know what I mean? Those are the kind of players they are, and I, and I think that's that's becoming less the case where. Like Emil Smith Rowe is adding goals to his game, and well, a hell of a lot of goals to this game. I think he's mm-hmm. our top scorer, and um, and Martinelli is linking up the play better, and he's just becoming. They, and they look bigger, like don't they? They, yeah. they just physically. I mean, you kind of forget how young these guys are, right? And they just they're just filling out, and they just they just seem to be filling out the, st- the just the pitch. Um, now, whether that's like a obviously, I'm sure there's physiological factors to it, but I'm, I'm certain that's like m- momentum and. Uh, like presence as well, which is certainly yeah. a thing. No, exactly right. You know, I remember Rio Ferdinand talking about Thierry Henry, and is that you know Thierry Henry was was in your head the day before the game. Yeah. Um, as a centre back, as any form of defender, you're thinking about Thierry Henry when you're playing Arsenal, and yeah. then in that sense, he's already won. Um, yeah. Like when, when you're transmitting that much of a presence on the pitch, um, the aura that you sort of transmit and the vibe that you give off is is definitely a factor in it. Um, when, when you feel backed by the manager, when you feel loved by the fans, it doesn't matter what squad number you're wearing, what position you're playing, yeah. you're always going to perform better and then you're always going to, to give off that kind of impression on, on others. Yeah, like, I mean, Saka. Saka's the, the, the absolute epitome of that. All, all of those three, 
and Odegaard, actually, who I always thought was a very slender guy. And I'm, again, I'm sure he is actually physically getting bigger, but they they are filling out the pitch and they are becoming these players that people are worried about and they're growing in confidence and they're, they're you know, they're taking one less touch. They're moving the ball forward rather than taking a touch and going, they, they're just, everything is just positive. And, and they, they, I think that's really centered and really helped by the, um, I guess the kind of automation for want of a better word, like the, that they're kind of just drilled into the system. They know where the other players are going to be. It's home. It's, safety they like they're very very aware of what they're going to be needed to be doing the system is very familiar with them and you know having a consistent starting 11 is really important and um these kids are, are really growing into that and underpinning that is we've got a spine of uh of really well an experience three of, of Lacazette and um party and Odegaard and what I thought was really interesting about the interchange between the two games of I think well, obviously Martinelli and, and Emil Smith Rowe is is where Shaka played in, in in these games. Like it kind of looked like Shaka was more um, the old Shaka in in Villa because Emil Smith Rowe came in. And I don't mean the old Shaka in making mistakes, but just positionally dropped a bit deeper. Where it's been kind of been reimagined as like a bit of an eight, uh, a bit further up the field. There's an amazing uh, athletical uh, athletic article on it, which again I forget the name of the. I think it was Art de Roche. Um, who's the athletic correspondent for Arsenal. And it's an amazing piece about looking at where Xhaka is sitting and removing these um, necessities for him to like drop back and make these positional issues and things like that. Um, so it, that, that sort of interchange is really good. So, I mean, what, what, what are you thinking about Granit Xhaka at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I've always had a, a soft spot for him. I think when he, when he came in, he, he was that steel, that grit, that physicality that we needed. Um, but I find that I find that he did, he just lacked direction in that sense. He he didn't mm. know he wasn't really finding the right sweet spot in terms of being aggressive and then being over aggressive. And and he does make mistakes, unfortunately. Um, he he's made mistakes that have led to red cards, that have led to goals, um, that have led to um, just clear clear cut chances for the opposition. And that's with every player. But I think with with Chaka, it's just happened frequently enough for for that to be a thing. And I think he's matured a lot in, in the Arsenal team. You know, he had that famous uh, shirt throwing, armband throwing incident, yeah. and um, I think he's he's done fantastically and, and matured in that sense within the club to to have a to have a comeback. I think one of the the commentaries on the Aston Villa game was was noting like the this love affair between you know like Romeo Juliet kind of story between Chaka and Arsenal in that sense, having yeah. that come back and and figuring it all out again. And I think that. You know, Arteta really believes in him, and that was that was very much part of it. Um, I think he was going to hurt to Berlin. I think that was pretty much done. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Arteta said, "No, no, no. I, I want you here, and this is why." And that that convinced him. So I think you know, Granite will will continue to be to be solid, to be being able to play those passes, to be a leader. And it's just how for how long he can keep that up without making some form of error again. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, I mean, he made that massive mistake this weekend of of being Granit Xhaka and getting a yellow card for three fouls that he didn't commit. Um, did you see that? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I was like, I was just like, how? I mean, look, Granit Xhaka's made some awful mistakes. We all know that. We all know Granit Xhaka, and he frustrates the hell out of us. But one thing he's not been doing is that recently. And there are fouls that they were making, and this will lead directly onto the Gerard conversation, I'm sure. But like. There are fouls that they were making that were on the edge. There were rotational fouls on Saka. 
There was that strong yellow from Mings, which, in fairness, I do think was yellow. Mm-hmm. But I agree. There were there were there were there were strong fouls before, and like the rotational fouling, we're not getting protection. Granit Xhaka, he, we talk about rotational fouling on Saka. He got a foul for rotational fouling or for multiple fouls. They point the referee points out for those who haven't seen it. Go and look. Points out three fouls that on the pitch that Granit Xhaka had fouled or people on, none of which happened. No fouls were committed by Granit Xhaka until the one he got a yellow, which was not a yellow card, um, which I think it just shows that he is being refereed differently. And look, I, I don't sympathise with Granit Xhaka that much because I think he's kind of brought it on, on himself to a point, but it comes down to perception, I think. And it comes down to the fact that he's got a name for himself now, um, you know, and I think that's, that's, that's really tough to handle. And I don't know how you handle that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think it's just... You know, it's through through good behavior. I think. Um, uh, I think through with this kind of thing, the only thing you can do is is to change the kind of name that's that's going that's attached to you now. So yeah. Um, you know, you look at his look at his love affair with Arsenal. That he was, um, this kind of storming off. He was um, he was not happy with with the fans, with the club, and then now he, he sort of changed at least a few people's minds about his attitude towards the club and and how he feels. So I think. You can change it through through your behavior. So if you just put in good challenges day in, week in, week out, mm-hmm. I think the referees will eventually stop stop seeing you that way. But if there are certain things that you know referees pass on information saying watch out for granted he does this, this, and this, yeah, uh, then I think I think the only way to change that is is through that kind of good behavior. It's true, and I think like the, I think the only way we're going to be able to start changing this narrative, and and I think this is maybe a bit cynical on my opinion of it, but like. We were always victimised as being um, the foreign team in the Premier League, and you know, and Arsenal don't like it up sort of situation. You know that you know that's the terrible narrative, and it it led to some really, really dangerous tackles on us. I mean, you don't have to go as far as Aaron Ramsey, uh, Abu Dhabi, um, Eduardo. Like these are dangerous, dangerous tackles that happened on these players. And I heard the Arsenal Vision podcast talk about how. Um, what did they say? They said that like when you create that narrative, it invites firstly players to make dangerous tackles or extra hard, like just kicking extra hard to try and win that thing. You play the Burnleys of the world, that's what they'll do. But secondly, it creates the narrative of somebody else who when they do make those tackle, they go, well, he's not that sort of player normally. And it's like, well, hang on. It's just, it's just a very inviting and very, very dangerous uh, thing to suggest um, or to bring on. This is why this whole Gerard thing on Saka is is disgraceful um, and dangerous. Like I, I get, I get what he was trying to say, and I'm kind of hoping he's going to realise what he's done and semi apologise, particularly because Saka's English, um, and you know, part of an England team that he'll want to to to, to protect. Um, yeah, well, what do you think about that? Yeah, it was. It was an interesting comment because, you know, Gerard's been through it all and Gerard's come through two different, maybe a couple different eras within mm. English football. So he was there in the, the days where, you know, commentators would say, oh, you know, in the 70s, 80s, whichever era it was, that would be fine. That would be cheered on by the fans. And I think mm. that was one of the commentators' comments on um, the Mings challenge as well. Um, and I mean, on that Saka challenge, you could see his ankle bleeding. So, you know, Mings had, had caught him um, and it was a, it was a strong yellow. I, w- I would definitely agree with that. I don't think it was a red. Um, he wasn't yeah, a yeah. high contact. So I think it was it was strong. And then I think Saka's comments were, were justified. You know, I, 
Um, you start looking at who was the most fouled in, in the league and, and Saka's mm-hmm. definitely climbing up there. I think at one point it was Jack Grealish and then the next is Phil Foden or something like that. So I think, you know, getting getting up that, that rank is that you do have to kind of protect these players. Um, mm-hmm. And then when Gerard's comments saying that, you know, I've, I've got, um, you know, screws my hips and had numerous operations, um, I found that just because that's what you suffered in, in football doesn't mean it has to be that way. Um, so that's the price that he paid for being a professional footballer, and that's fine. But that doesn't mean it's the mm-hmm. only way. Um, so I think he presented a little bit of a false dichotomy there and said that you either don't get fouled or you become like me. So yeah, you yeah, have to become yeah. like me. Um, and I think, you know, there definitely are many, many other, other routes to follow. And I don't think Saka has to go and play a sport that gets you screws in your hips and makes you struggle to go to the gym. No, um, exactly. I think that you can still be physical and not have to, to have that happen. So I think, I think Jared was a little bit tough on him. Um, but I guess it's, it's one way to, to offer advice, but maybe coming about it in the wrong manner. Yeah, no, like it, it depends how you, how you deliver that context. Of, of what he said, because if the question was surrounding, um, I don't know, strength of tackles generally, or um, I, I don't know, but like, I'm so I'm so keen for the physical side of the game. I love it. Like, that's exactly why I love the Premier League. I think it's great. But there's a hell of a line. And when the context of the question and all the surrounding sort of argument was about how the treatment of Saka was, and he's gone, well, I've got this and that. I've got screws. I've got like, you're basically saying... This, this, is, this isn't just some manager saying this. This is Steven Gerrard, the media's love child, the um, one of the most respected, untouchable people in England. I, you know, I love him. He's, I think he's great. Um, he's saying this, and he's basically saying to referees, he's saying to other teams, feel free, have a go. Like, I think, I'm so, I'm so happy Arteta and Saka are saying something, because I think they needed to. It's been a long time. Um, you know, and they're, they're absolutely right. And I, what I kind of want to happen to be honest, is Saka to go and have an absolute stormer for England um, and come back and suddenly everybody's talking about him and he's the front name of the, you know, of the, um, of the papers and things like that. And, 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 and then we, you know, we move on and he becomes everyone's darling and, and that's the all I can hope for really. And I, I do think that that was kind of an opportunity there when he missed that penalty and, you know, some terrible things happened to him. And, and, and it seemed like actually, for all the awful stuff that happened to him, which we obviously condemn it, but it was there were some really positive messages to some of those people, and um, I was kind of hoping that the, the state of the world would come together. Do you remember when, you know, the first few games back, even the Spurs fans, um, you know, in full respect, they stood up and they applauded him when he was like, you know, everything, everyone was super behind him. The only fans that didn't, Chelsea fans, shock. Um, so and it was like this is this is an opportunity, you know, and and it just hasn't hasn't panned out that way. So. It's tough. It's tough. Um, but more, more generally, I guess, about refereeing, there was, again, a few more decisions um, uh, both across both games. And uh, it's happened. And I'm just worried, like, with these games coming on fine margins, like, I, I do think that referee decisions or lack of protection on referees or both is going to cost us at some point this season. And I have a sneaky, and I'm saying it if I, I have a really sneaky feeling it might be a very big reason why we don't get top four. Um, we've been very good and very lucky, but, but I think mainly good to and very professional to get through it and still have won all these games and only lost, you know, some some very difficult games. I think that's really, you know, I'm so proud of us, really. Um, but I don't think that can continue forever. Like we cannot keep getting refereed like this without it 
screwing us up at some point. Yeah, it's it's a really tough one, and it's it's something that you just can't control. You know, yeah. Um, referees are, are humans too. Are humans too? You know, the automa automa <laughs> automation of football hasn't happened quite yet. Um, yeah. So there, there are going to be human errors, and the the these types of people can have bad days as well. Um, they can be in bad moods. They can be, uh, for whatever reason, um, more cynical on this team than that team. And and unfortunately, that that's something that uh, Arsenal fans and nor nor any fan in in the world can can control. And when your season can depend on that kind of thing, it's pressure both both on you and and both on the referee. And in terms of what decisions you have to make, allow the referee to make. And the VAR, VAR can help ease those kinds of pressures, um, but can also, in a sense, put, put pressure again on the referee in order to, yes. you know, when you jog over to the screen, nine times out of ten, the referee changes the decision, uh, which is not actually meant to be the case. It's meant to ha- offer the referee another look, and then they can either stay with or, or leave the decision. But most yeah. of the time, they change their decision. Uh, so I think with with refereeing, I can only hope that, that we, we don't give the referee some form of hard decision like we just we get into the game and yeah. those kinds of decisions can happen when we're two nil three nil up rather than having to happen when we're one all in in the 90th minute and we need a draw to to get into the top four yeah it's true but i mean the decisions that seem to be happening seem to be not giving red cards against us uh sorry giving not giving red cards for opponent teams when they clearly should be saka versus crystal palace comes into mind tommy Asu and all that sort of stuff um and, and and the red cards that we get and and uh, it, it's tough it's tough to measure because the things like the Tommy Asu one when he got stamped on by Everton we lost that game and we didn't deserve to win it but that was one nil up at that point they go down to ten men that is that is that is three points that have we didn't deserve but had a referee decision been correctly allocated that would have been allocated towards us and there's numerous other decisions that can go around that Man City sticks out like correct refereeing. And it happens to all teams, like I have to say, obviously, but it does seem to be happening this lot, and it worries me. Um, mm-hmm. But um, look, things things have been going very well. Um, let's, you know, I think we could talk about quite a number of different things. To be honest, I think um, the, the substitutions in the Vela game I'd like to talk about. So Rob Holden came on, and Pepe came on, and Andy and Ketia came on. What, what was your sort of take on those? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of of, of all those uh, all those three players. Um, I think Rob Holding is fantastic uh, rotational centre back to have in. You know, I'd love to see a team play a little bit more. But when you've got Ben White and Gabriel forming that partnership and playing really well as well, it's it's yeah. very hard to get into the team, and that's sort of what you need in that sense as well. Um, Pepe, I've been wanting him, been yearning for him to work for a long time. Um, and I think he's been rejuvenated since coming back from the from the Afcon, which is which yeah. is fantastic. Um, and I think one of the reasons, personally, that he's not in the team, a is Saka's form, but also b is defensive um, kind of qualities. There were yeah. there were some challenges in there. I think it was the maybe the final free kick against against Villa that that Bird Leonard saved. That was that was Pepe's foul, um, and it was an unnecessary one in that sense as well. Totally. Um, and so I think. You know, if he improves that side of the game, then he, then he can be then he can be seriously deadly. And then Eddie Ketcher is an absolute workhorse. He touches <laughs> really well. He's really good at snuffing out the kind of attacking scenarios. Um, it's just his linking play that I think is getting is keeping him out of the out of the team at the moment. Um, and maybe how we play as well. I don't think we look for a, a fox in the box. I think we look for um, someone who drops deep. You know, Chaka was at one point playing higher than than Lacazette. Yeah. And links to play links to play there. So. 
I think those three were were probably the most like ideal substitutes there. Um, maybe a bit of Lokonga. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of him. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, yeah, he had he had a long stint in the team um, as a result of Party's injury and some things with Chaka as well. And the fact that we're not in, in any cup competitions also doesn't help that that kind of cause. Um, but I think it's also you know important to have context that he is there to develop, and he's probably yeah. had more game time than he was ever expecting to have in his first season. And you know, every day is a school day for for every player, and especially for someone who's who's looking to to build that and that kind of relationship in the middle of the park. Yeah, it's true. I mean. Um... It's interesting. I mean, breaking it down, I mean, so Pepe, for me, I always say this, every every time recently, I think he's a chaos player that can cause havoc, havoc up front. Great. But you never know what you're going to get with him. And if you're 1-0 up, for me, I can understand that the reasons why people would want him on, because it's a broken game, he can go on the counter-attack. But the reason, like, if you need a bit of control, he's not your player. You don't trust him defensively. And, uh, you know, as it showed, we can, if you're chasing a game, out of the Wolves, Get him on. Anything can happen. You know, we're throwing everything at it. He can be the difference in the box. And um, cutting him from wide, all this thing can happen. Anything can happen. And I I think, unfortunately, he's not been consistent enough to justify a starting team, starting performance too often. But he's got something. He's got something. So, whoops. Uh, smack the microphone. You know, throw him on with 10 minutes to go, or with 20, 25 minutes to go, brilliant anything happen but if you're one and up i think you know bringing her hold robert holding on is a great shout because mm-hmm. backs against the wall defender rotation defender you're right i mean looking great and to be honest the defense overall gabrielle white are looking stronger and stronger than ever I have nothing more good to say about those two i think white is getting better in the air he's getting a better defender gabrielle's getting better on the ball like these are two defenders that are working better and better together by the day and their relationship with ramsdale is looking exceptional but, but it's thomas party who is for me looking unbelievable he's been the glue in both games between you know the attack and defense and he's really making things look great um what, what do you think yeah and you know this is why we signed him we wanted this thomas party from the beginning this is getting mm-hmm. to his old form in atletico where he would pull the strings and just be that absolute rock in the middle and i think you know his, his ability to predict the play just to stay there and just to give you you know seven or eight out of ten game every time mm-hmm. i think is is the key and i think there. Um, you know, he's right-footed. He can always play on that side. He can play a through ball. If he could finish, that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem to be his forte, and and that's more than fine. Um, he runs, you know, like a like an absolute madman, and I think that that really does help and proves inspiring to the rest of the players. So mm. I think with it, with his ability to to play the ball, to to get the challenges in, and and not be afraid to to get his hands a little bit dirty was yeah, uh, yeah. one of the reasons that we wanted to sign him and. I'm glad that he's now settled in and can and has the sort of stint to the team where he can really cement his game and get back to the form we we all want to see him show. Yeah, no, absolutely, and he's looking every bit that player we we thought he could be, and I'm so happy for him. You know, he's just finally got a run in the team, and he completely deserves everything he's got. Um, and I can't believe we've got this far without mentioning Martin Erdegaard. He's looking every bit the player we thought he could be as well, and this is it's just all happening. Um, so very excited indeed about what could happen. Um, Time's cracking on. Let's let's do our man of the match uh, and dick of the day. Who who's, who was your? Oh, I suppose it'd be man of the matches. I guess um, one man over two matches. Who, who's that player for you? Oh, one man over two matches. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think I think for me, you know, I think Odegaard's been absolutely fantastic. Um, yep. For me, he's he's the man of the match over those two matches, and 
it's not just the the focus on the stats. Remember an interview with him that maybe he feels that a little bit too much is, is focused on, on the stats within football mm. now. But for me, it's just his, his ability to, to offer that one-touch pass, to offer that leadership, and just to look calm on the ball and to have that kind of option up front has just been sensational. So I think him with his ability to, to run and to press and to press efficiently as well as intelligently as well is, is I think, what's carrying him over to, to being my man of the match is in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, fair. And to be honest, I, I gave it Thomas Partey for, for similar reasons. Um, I think he's just looking more and more like the Rolls-Royce midfielder we bought. So buzzing about that, to be honest. And, you know, if our men of the match over two matches have been uh, two central midfielders, and then that is exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's unbelievably exciting. So, uh, dick of the day. First dick of the day for you. I'm quite yeah, excited. It's, yeah, it's, a, yeah it's, it's sort of my, my first one. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, and I've struggled to, to think of one, actually, um, over, the, over the two matches. Um, for me, uh, there was potentially sort of something where, with Lacazette where I think he just he just completely missed the ball at one point. Um, <laughs> like he came across the box or he received it and it just like went through him like he wasn't there. That's um, nice. So I, I remember in one of those matches that it was, that it was there. Uh, so I think I'd have to, to give it to him, unfortunately. Lacazette, I think, yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. I think that's that's something that we're, we're very familiar with Lacazette doing from time to time. So, um, well, you struggle for one. I've got three. Uh, okay. Two of which are second, one of which is first. So Gerard for being, you know, awful comments, but that's not that funny. So Ashley Young for saying uh, we can't celebrate and all that nonsense. Good point. So stupid. Yeah, yeah. What on earth can you? Like, if you're not going to celebrate with football, like what are you going to do anyway? The best one though was Gabby Agbonlahor. Have you seen these? No, no. Do you tell me? So, so he he was on Talksport and he said about the Arsenal fans celebrating too much. He said exactly the same thing about um, that, that Young did about the Arsenal team celebrating as if they won the Champions League, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so on TalkSport, later on in another show, Laura Woods, one of the presenters, who is also an Arsenal fan, she basically went, well, she was completely correct in everything she said. She just gave the reasons why you should be allowed to celebrate and basically was like, listen, Gabby, are you trying to say that nobody should celebrate any goal, any victory, anywhere, unless you wait until the end of the season and you decide where you will last? So everyone's silent anyway. And he goes, and she goes at the end, she drops an absolute mic bomb. She's like, right, fine. If you don't, um, uh, if you don't want to take my advice, take your own advice. And then plays a, a, a snippet of him last year saying like about one of the, managers are say he's just celebrating with the fans every win every goal it's what the fans want to see and it's just basically it's his own advice completely dismantled and i love it i love it, I love it, I love it. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Uh, um so that was funny so i'll give it to him but um look women's i think as we speak are about to kick off in 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 um at the emirates they're playing against wolfsburg give us a bit of a roundup they've had quite quite a good week Really, I mean, so if we look back at the past week. I mean, they've played Brighton and uh, Coventry in, in the cup, but but generally flying pretty well with a game in hand below them for Chelsea to play. I guess they could go above them. But how how are they doing? Yeah, you know, in general, it's been an absolute pleasure to to see them to see them and watch them play. Uh, they they've kept two clean sheets in in the past week or two. Uh, one against Brighton, the other against Coventry, and they're still in the FA Cup in that sense as well. Still in the Champions League. Uh, very much in the running for the league. They they might need a little bit of luck 
um, in terms of their final fixtures in order for, for Chelsea not to not to pip them right at the end. Um, but it comes, you know, after being absolutely dismantled um, in a 3-0 mm. uh, FA Cup final from, from last year yeah. um, in, in December. And I actually went to that game and, and unfortunately witnessed the, the collapse before my eyes. And it was such a shame. But I think coming on from there, they, they've done extremely well and to keep themselves going. I think Jonas Adebel, the Arsenal manager, is working absolute magic in bringing just a fresh face. So Jermon Tamura was... Um, the, the former manager of Arsenal, and he he left for, I think, for family reasons. Um, and he delivered a, a league title in, in his first year. I think it was 20, 2015. Um, and he, you know, absolutely smashed it. He, he did really well. And I think it was just getting a little bit repetitive uh, in that sense. Mm. They also just needed a, a fresh intake. Um, and I think Jodas Adefeld has brought that passion, that desire, that pressing football that that everyone that everyone wants to see and i think he's done some really smart signings and i think he's done fantastically well with with animating the team in that sense as well so again against brighton you've got uh the the new signing uh stina blackstenius absolutely smashing it with, with two uh two goals there uh, as well as beth mead an absolute fan favorite to be signed from i think sunderland at that sense she was playing a striker and now she sort of plays on the on the wing and she's doing fantastically well and then against Coventry, we had uh, Blackstenius score again. We had Mead, we had Nikita Paris, uh, we had Viv Miedemar, Shock uh, also scoring, and it's been absolutely, absolutely fantastic to see them, and also to see the clean sheets coming in. So we always talk about, you know, you win league titles from from the bottom up, from goalkeeper defence, and then you get to your to your attackers. Mm-hmm. And I think you know this new system that's being employed with with Stina as the out and out number nine, and then Viv Miedemar playing in this sort of diamond formation in the middle of a four three three as that kind of number 10 role has been has been electrifying. Um, so effectively what happens is that uh, Miramar will push up the pitch and be able to control the middle a little bit. Uh, yeah. And then Leah Valti just works as, an, uh, as, as the, the number 13, almost like an anchor in midfield. And she works as another centre-back. So mm-hmm. Leah Williamson, an absolute Arsenal fan favourite, will, will push up with the ball. And then Leah just slots back in nice and easily. She, she's not interested in scoring goals. She's just interested in playing the pass and, and offering cover defensively. Uh, and then you balance that with, with Kim Little, who's an absolute workhorse, uh, you know, an absolute engine of that mid- midfield and gets mm. up and down the pitch uh, like nobody's business and wins the ball back, reads the play well. Um, you watch any Arsenal highlights, you'll see that any form of counterattack from the other opposition is just snuffed out by Kim. Um, so I think that balance and then pushing Miedemar forward to, to play to that traditional number nine and have someone to feed off has been an absolutely um, fantastic display of, of, of football within the women's game. And that's reflected in, in the results we've seen in the past two weeks. Yeah, and I think it's, um, it's important to say, for those, those listeners that aren't, aren't overly familiar with the women's team, like the, the, it's a very, they're in a very different position re- in recent history um, to, to, to where Arsenal now, I suppose. And they'd be more reflective of perhaps historically Man United, I guess, in the way they've been pretty much the most successful team in the UK. They're the only women's teams who have won the European Cup. They are extremely, extremely successful. And so not winning last year was was quite disappointing. And it's been a couple of years, really. Um, so there was a lot happening to, to bring us back. And there's been a lot of hope that's been really exciting. And so I wonder if you could just walk us through that that journey and perhaps bring us up to what what that means perhaps tonight against a huge test against um, Wolfsburg, who, who I believe are one of the top two or three teams in the world. 
Yeah, yeah. So Wolfsburg are sort of, you know, the, the equivalent of a, a men's Real Madrid in that sense. They are mm. an absolute giant within the game. Um, so you've sort of got Lyon, uh, Lyon, Wolfsburg, Arsenal. You've got Juventus then, of course, Barcelona, who, you know, in their yeah. league have won 24 games out of the 24 they've played and by very, very good margins as well. Um, absolutely electrifying team to watch. It's just incredible. Um, and I think, you know, Arsenal is, is very much up there as well. Um, so Arsenal, as, as on the, the page that we, we posted a little post saying that uh, the Arsenal women's team, the only English team to win the Women's Champions League, or they think then it was like the Women's uh, European Cup. Yeah. Um, and they won that in 2007. And the only women's team to, to have done that. Um, and then when the WSL got set up, I think it was actually um, 2010, Mm. Uh, they they've been the the team that has been consistent in that league uh, ever since. So I don't think they've ever been relegated, and they they've been slowly slowly on a on a slow burn um, with with absolutely phenomenal players uh, coming through and just keeping that kind of investment and that kind of attention towards the team has has been fantastic. So whenever you mention to a women's football fan Arsenal, they know who you're talking about, um, and you get to the stage where you you win the league in I think it was a tw- in in 2015. Absolutely, 100% deserved. Um, and then you start winning different cups throughout the years as well. Mm. I think it really helped to to galvanize uh, to galvanize the game and and give uh, football fans a reason to look at women's football in that sense. So you, people talk about role models uh, like Kelly Smith, and a mm. lot of them played for Arsenal. Um, and that's I think a, a very much uh, a token to to Arsenal's efforts to to keep up this the side of the women's game outside of the game in, in the form of women's football and it's really showing in terms of the results and showing how Arsenal have always been consistently sort of top three or four as uh, so the top three go through to the the Champions League yeah um, and so Arsenal missed out on it in one year like like the the men's team now and were, were looking to to get back into it they did last season um, and then now they're pushing for for the league title and are very much in the running yeah because there's a different system isn't there like we- there isn't as much thing of as a project rebuild what we're going through here um because of the contract situation is that correct yeah that's correct yeah so 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 typically people only go for one maximum two-year contracts for each season um so the danger of losing people is very high but the ability to get people in is, is very is also very high mm-hmm. yep no exactly right and it's a difference between between the two you know there are um economic uh, precarities with involved within these um within this this part of the game and uh that reflects in terms of the players who can come and go and and what's being offered to them and and then you get to to the stage where you're trying to offer these kinds of contracts to players like Viv Miramar um who absolute colossuses of the game um and then you you try and offer these big contracts and sometimes it's not as, as feasible as as one would hope so you know the the FA Cup uh winner sort of the prize money for winning the FA Cup has increased now um from 400,000 pounds to to 3 million um, so you to start being able to to fund the teams to be able to better offer these long term contracts, and then to be able to better able to produce the kind of quality that we see uh, the women's game is definitely capable of producing. So I think this kind of shift towards almost like a structural shift, a mentality shift within the league yep. can only help the the women's game. Yeah, it seems to be growing. It's growing and growing and growing. There's there's a lot to be done, you know, in in the game. And I think um, it's like if you, if you actually only look back five years, you'd struggle to find a women's game on TV. There's been a couple of World Cups, um, a massive, massive marketing push. I know the FA have, have had a huge, huge investment into the women's game from at least the national level and from the grassroots. And you can see the WSL massively improving. And um, 
the commercial element's only going to benefit not only the game itself, but also the attendances and the kind of level of infrastructure that, that, that it's going to be deserved. And um, let's hope Arsenal can ride the wave all the way to the end and, and be right at the top of that, because I cannot be asked for Chelsea uh, to be pipping us again. I've had too much of that in the men's game. I'm not letting it happen again. I mean, this is what Man United's first ever season with a women's team and they're already third. Yeah, so they, they had a season last season as well. Oh, did they? Uh, okay. One before that. Uh, so Tobin Heath, who, who plays for Arsenal now and is a long, long, a lifelong Arsenal fan, played for Man United last season. Right. Um, and I don't think the Real Madrid women's team have been long, uh, sort of around for a long time either. And it touches upon a really interesting point within the women's game in terms of looking at that shared history is that, you know, the Women's Super League starts in 2010. Yeah. Um, so there's no sort of looking back to the you know 2000s where you're looking at sort of your Burkhams, your Vieiras, your Alan Shearers, whomever. Mm. Um, you're sort of looking towards players that are currently you know some of them are still playing, um, <laughs> who've been there ever since. I think um, you know Leah Williamson, Kim Kim Little have been have been there for for a long time. Um, Leah Williamson her Williamson her her whole life, and then Kim Little I think for most of her career. And you're sort of looking at those those legends of the game where you start building these kinds of monumental moments and these figures within the club that you'll be able to, to reflect upon. And I think that, you know, by giving it the uh, sort of coverage that it deserves, you're able to record these moments, to record the kind of goals that are coming in, the kind of moments that happen in terms of league titles, in terms of Champions League titles, and you're able to better create this kind of football community and, and football vision that the, the men's game benefits from and then transfer that to the women's side as well. Amazing. Yeah, there's, there's, and there's so much happening. And um, I'm so glad that we can hopefully be, be part of supporting that and you know as we as we do the men's game and um you know there's, there's a lot of fandom to come and um we'll, we'll, we'll kick off some questions I'm, I'm looking at time i've got a mix of men's and, and women's questions so just on the theme of women's as now we've got Kwam and stewart we've got Kwam. um he says tonight's score prediction for arsenal against wolfsburg Ooh, really good question. You know, I always, I always got to back the girls. Um, but Wolfsburg yeah. are going to be seriously tough, and I think it's going to take a tactical and physical masterclass from Arsenal, really, to get going. There's a former Arsenal player, Jill Rod, uh, yep. who played last season playing for Wolfsburg this evening, so she'll be coming back to the Emirates. Um, so I think, you know, I'll go for, you know, I'll go for a two-one Arsenal win. That's what I'm going to go for. Because it's a tough game. Ah, it's a, a really tough game. Tough game. But we're at home. It's one of two legs. As long as we can, are they doing away game, away goals in the women's game? Yeah, it's a good question. I I can't uh, confirm nor deny that statement. But I think okay. um, you know whether whether that is the case or not. This is all, this is still equally huge game. Nice, nice. Um, sounds good. All right. Um, where shall we go? Okay, Nathan FL two five says Gabby through the middle. Ooh. What are we thinking? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because you know we're sitting here with. We've got Lacazette, and Lacazette is uh, really, really good oil for this machine. Mm-hmm. Everything that happens in this team is better when Lacazette's on the pitch at the moment. I don't think that's a long-term thing. I don't think it's going to keep happening. I've said it over and over again. But he does his Lacazette things, which are sometimes quite frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if Gabby is the right one yet, but long-term I think could be. I think, what, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it, they're both different strikers, Lacazette and, and Gabby. Uh, it depends how we want to play. So is Gabby going to be okay dropping in deep and then offering the ball wide mm. and then going getting into the box? Um, or would you rather have him as, as an outlet on, on the counter-attack in, in that sense? 
Um, I think he quite likes coming on the wing and then trying to beat that man. Uh, I think he quite likes being on the ball as well. And whether he can sort of stay in, in the zone in the sense by basically maybe going a whole game without touching touching the ball too much and then mm-hmm. getting that last, final goal in the last minute. Um, I find the more you get Gabby on the ball, the better he is. Yeah. Um, so I think getting him out wide or getting into a position where you can receive the ball is, is key. If that's going to be through the middle, fantastic. If not, I'd rather see him out wide. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think if anything, the, the player that seems to fit that bill would be Mill Smith-Rowe. And I think if, look, I think if we're, there are fab four, I think we've mentioned before, but the difficulty is we've got 10 cup finals. There's no, as we keep saying, and we have no chance to like be tinkering with things. And I think as long as we're winning games, let's keep this going. If we're 2-0 up against a team, let's try it. I'd love to see all the best players on the pitch and put a Mill Smith-Rowe as a pivot at the top as the, the the striker that comes deep as the false nine and let the players play around him. I just want to see how it works, mm. but in a slightly lower risk environment. Um, mm. And I'd like to see how it goes. Um, we've got a couple of people saying, uh, so we've got Shreyas B10 and who else says it? William Mineby also uh, basically asking about Dybala. So Dybala in an Arsenal shirt, Dybala in an Arsenal shirt, what do you think? And um, Diablo to Arsenal as a free agent, yay or nay? That's their question. So, what, yeah, it's, what do you it's think? a good question. Um, I think, you know, I would love to see him. I think Diablo is a fantastic player, but he's, he is injury prone and he's not an out and out goal scorer. He scores goals, uh, but he's not an out and out goal scorer. So, you're sort of thinking, okay, why am I bringing him in? So, who's, who's he going to fight for that position? He's going to fight for Odegaard's position. Uh, he's going to fight for Emil Smith Rowe in that sense as well. So, you've got three players there. Would he play out wide or would he play as a false nine? If we're thinking of a false nine, um, maybe, maybe that could work, but then I don't yeah. think we are. Um, so I, I would love to see it, but probably all for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, like we're, we're all talking at the moment about, you know, we, we're, we're very much part of um, no cups, no Europe, looking at the Premier League, wanting to win games, great. But this season would be so different if we'd had Europe. We need three or four players that are competing for all these front, you know, however many positions, or at least three or four more players, I think, sorry. Mm-hmm. I think if he's coming on a free and he's clearly a player of quality, we want top, top players to compete with a bit of Champions League experience. I don't see the problem with it, but mm-hmm. um, so I don't really see it as necessarily a case of replacing or anything like it, but competition, as we've looked from Martinelli and Smith Smith-Rowe, is pushing players. And I'd love to see that, that, that certainly more often. So there's certainly players I think we could do that. So... Um, there is another question. Let's go, Ollie Campbell Rogers, who uh, has asked thoughts on re-signing Jordan Nobbs. Yeah, it's it's a really good question, and and one of the posts on the Instagram as well was about how Jordan Nobbs actually got uh, one of her first full ninety minutes for a long time. Mm. Um, at the moment, I think she's just losing out on on her place just because the other players are in, on really good form. So Leah Valti. And um, Kim Little are abs- on absolute fire, as well as with Miramar. Yeah. So then you've also got one of our, our staple products and the earlier part of the season, uh, Frida Marnham. He's also not being able to get a game at the moment. Um, I I would personally see signing Jordan Nobbs uh, as a positive thing. I would definitely okay. go for it in the sense that we're not just signing Jordan Nobbs, we're signing Jordan Nobbs. So Jordan Nobbs, who's been there, an Arsenal fan, loves the club, a positive influence throughout the team. And also a leader in, the, in that sense as well on 
in a uh, in the dressing room, I think would be you're finding more than a player mm. in that sense. I think finding a run, um, I think would be would be good. I think she provides really good competition, and I think when she gets on form uh, and maybe plays a little bit further forward in the left wing kind of role, uh, I think she can cause some serious damage and get and uh, get back into the England squad as well. So yeah, I would definitely definitely have her back in. Yep. No, fair play, fair play. And um, uh, let's do another transfer rumor um, for the men's team then. So Amine uh, Asidicio, apologies if I've absolutely butchered that, my friend. Um, he's played, I don't think Jao Felix would be perfect fit for this team. I think we need a striker more similar to Lacazette. Felix is a great player. I just don't think he can do the same work Lacazette does. What do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So again, it goes back to: Are we going to play a, a false nine? I think mm-hmm. Felix would be fantastic for a false nine. Um, I think he's just that kind of player, um, and I think he's. Just, I don't think he's as physical as as Lacazette is. I don't think he's going to get in and challenge and really knock someone off the ball as as Lacazette is. I think. Yeah. Um, I think that comment is right. Is that he 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 would be have to offer the the kind of work that um, that Lacazette does, and maybe if we played a different formation, like he's playing at Letico, and we played. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, a four-four-one-one. In that sense, uh, Felix would be a fantastic centre forward rather than a, than a striker. Um, so, in terms of competition, it would be fantastic. Um, but yeah. I think he's just lacking a little bit of physicality at this point, which maybe if he if he adds to his game, can can be a real threat. Absolutely, and um, I I always see him as a bit of a um, like every time I see him, I hear good things about him, but whenever I see him, it never really translates. Like, he always seems a bit lightweight. It kind of doesn't really happen for him. I don't know that's a really bad opinion. I don't really know, you know, too much about him, to be fair, other than, yeah, I guess the times I've, I've watched him and I've always been a little bit disappointed. So I do wonder, because he seems class, you know, brilliant technical footballer. I worry about how long it would take him to fit into the Prem, mm-hmm. given the physicality. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. So one last question from Arsenal.tracker. Doors or wheels? <laughs> Um, I've heard so many conflicting opinions because like you, you look in your, your kitchen, for example, and then you really have to define what's a door and what's a wheel. Um, because in, you know, is your oven door a door? I just call it an oven door. So it must be Uh, fridge door. Okay. But then are the wheels within your, so let's say dishwasher, if you have one of those, uh, do they count? Um, that's it. Or we just thinking about that kind of thing. And, um, are we defining, uh, sort of doors that slide across like sliding doors in that sense like for opening up to a veranda or are we counting like in japan they've sort of got um those kinds of uh, sort of transparent doors sliding doors as well mm. and then in uh sort of more in central asia you've got doors that may be marked just by uh like like basically a blanket in that sense or, or a towel or sarong so yeah. as I, I think there's a little bit of a problem of definitions here uh, but i'm probably going to go wheels probably going to go wheels yeah, I think so. Well, the, the key for me is is like I was I was team wheels for quite a while. I think the I think the general definition of a wheel should be if it's facilitating a motion, having an it's got an axle in it, it's round and it facilitates motion. I think so. Cupboard doors or, or sorry, drawer doors, sorry, drawer wheels are wheels uh, and all sorts of things like that. Um, but the one that blew my mind, and this is a defining factor for me. If you can define this as a door, I think doors win. If you don't, then I don't think they do. If you define the 24 doors on an advent calendar 
as a door. I think <laughs> doors win. But if you don't, I think wheels win. I think that's a defining factor. It's down to Santa. Thank you. Good night. That's my opinion. On it. That's it. What a way to sign off the podcast. What a way. <laughs> um, well, look, we'll leave it there. We've gone off on a tangent. I believe it's wheels, unless, of course, the Advent Tunnel calendars do the doors. Connor, it's been great having you. Thank you so much. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening. But yeah, Connor, thanks so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to speaking to you next week. No, my pleasure, Toby. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been an absolute pleasure to, to be here. Loved it. Thanks so much. Speak to everyone next week. Yeah.